gonna have to tell Alyssa that does these uh, video announcements. I enjoy the Christmas trap music in the background. <laughs> the little beat there, that's what it's called. CYP will know. But uh, welcome. As many people have said, Christmas Eve Eve. Um, normally, I mean, let's be serious, I'm getting uh, older where I don't keep the countdown going. But it's our first Christmas with Raj, so there's little significant things. We went, uh, there was just a spot down the road from us, two-minute drive from our house. We're like, the lawn was just lit up. And then we got there, and we're like, should we? Ah, we'll let him go. So we let him go up on the lawn, touch all the lights, and we didn't get called for trespassing. But there's little stuff. I don't know. Uh, I shared last week, it's our first year where I've got to get his presents put together. I mean, you guys have loved on us so well. You guys have blessed us in so many ways. That kid has about 400 balls, 600 stuffed animals, like more little toys than he knows what to do with. So Steph was like, I want to get him a kitchen. Like a legit, it, it, it's not a legit kitchen, it's down here. But you think I was installing cabinets. Like, I, couldn't we have got one from Ikea where it's like 12 steps? This thing's a book. There's about 6,000 screws. So that's, that's my Christmas Eve. What about yours? But actually... Speaking of Christmas Eve, I want to extend an invitation. Maybe you will be with family. You will want to find a Christmas Eve service. Last year, we, we had it where Saturday fell on Christmas Eve. So we joined Faith Lutheran for their service. It was awesome. This place was packed out. Uh, people were sitting against the walls. It was a phenomenal service. Uh, and, and Pastor Scott said, hey, if you guys want to come out again, it's an open invitation. So they have their services 4 o'clock p.m. It's kind of their contemporary service. 7 o'clock, a little more uh, formal and traditional but I just wanted to extend that invitation to you guys. If you're looking for a Christmas Eve service, Pastor Scott said, you are more than welcome to join them again. They've been incredibly gracious hosts for two years, and this is just them being gracious hosts again and saying, if you guys want to find a spot, you got a, a, a service here you can go to. But we've been here at City Life in a two-week series that we're calling The Thrill of Hope. You know, we got to sing those lyrics tonight as we sang Oh Holy Night, but this idea of the thrill of hope, the waiting world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, looking to the birth of Jesus Christ. And this series, we're simply pointing at two waiting women's rejoicing, specifically Elizabeth and Mary. We're looking at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and their interaction and what God was doing in their hearts as they were waiting on these children to come and the thrill of hope in their lives. Last week we talked about Elizabeth. We talked about her hope. And, and, and last weekend as we were talking, I kind of made mention in passing like Steph's love language. My, my wife Steph, her love language is giving gifts. And that's what she just likes to do. It's how she shows love. So Christmas, she's on cloud nine because she gets to buy gifts for everybody. I got to pump the brakes on her love language or we'll go bankrupt, right? But it's because she's awesome. She's, she's phenomenal. And I throw a wrench in all of that because she, her love language is giving gifts. But I'm just, I'm not good at receiving gifts. Anybody, like, feel the stress of opening presents. I can come up here every weekend and, and speak in front of a mass of people, but you put me in front of like six of my in-laws and their family, and I got seven presents to open. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking like, oh man, there's etiquette, right? Like in most, in their, her family and my family, we take turns, right? So it's not a madhouse and we get to say thank you, but while you're taking your turn, you got to know everybody else wants to open their presents. So I'm not going to take five minutes to open the gift. But at the same time, there's a tension because if I just open it and push it to the side, they're going to think, oh, he hated it. No lack of appreciation or no appreciation. Same thing kind of when you get the, the, the gift bag, right? Not wrapped, but there's a gift bag. And there's just ample amounts of tissue paper. So you reach in, you grab the present, you say thank you, but then you think, oh, was there more on the bottom? You don't want to ask it. 
Because then they'll think, oh, he, didn't, he, he thinks that's not enough. And you don't want to just start digging around because then they'll think, oh, that's not enough. So, man, there's just these little things. Anybody else? Like introverts, get my back, right? We're just, it's kind of stressful, right? There can be a stress to receiving gifts, even though it's a, a wonderful season. But, uh, man, sometimes I've got to learn. We've got to learn to receive gifts well. And we read throughout the Bible, God gives us gifts again and again in the form of promises, in the form of provision, and clearly in the form of our Savior. Christmas is chief among them because it's the gift of his son. You read through scripture, Isaiah 9 is one of my favorite prophecies that points to Christ where it says in Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is what? Given. It says in John 3 that for God so loved the world that he gave. And then they'll speak to Jesus, but this, this passage in James 1 is talking to like the entirety of life, that every good and perfect gift, it comes from above. These are gifts, but it's on us to receive them. And it's on us to receive them well. You know, the true power in Christianity is in receiving. It's not on our works or what we can accomplish, but it's in receiving what Jesus Christ did for us when he came as a baby and died for us on the cross. The reality of Christianity is found in Ephesians 2, 9, where it says we're saved by grace, through faith, not by works. None of us can boast. So because of that, we've got to get good at receiving, not working harder, not striving harder. Although, man, grace, it calls us to things that helps us break a sweat in terms of our faith, but we got to get good at receiving. Mary showed the utmost excellence in receiving from God. I want to look tonight at the uh, Magnificat. It's in Luke Chapter 1. I actually want to start in, in verse 36. It's the verse we hit on last week. And then read through Mary's song of praise. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And this is Gabriel speaking to Mary as he's telling her all the things we just talked about right here, right? That she's going to bear Jesus the Messiah. And then at the end he says, what's more? Your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. It says, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Some of you that are lamenting 
relatives coming for a couple days. She stayed for three months, so you got it easy. But it, we see in this story how well she received this gift. And maybe you'd be like, yeah, she's about to bear the Messiah. Like, this is awesome. Why would she not receive it well? But I think sometimes we get so used to the benign images of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, and we tend to blot out the reality of this situation, that a young girl was pregnant, her fiancé knew he was not the father, and the bride price hadn't been paid. In the Middle East, this isn't a good situation for her to be in. There could have been an honor killing. There could have been a variety of things that were terrible that could have happened to Mary. And Mary's visit to Elizabeth, about 100 miles away in Judea, it may have been a desperate attempt by Joseph and her and their families to save her from this fate and get her out of the way of it all until it had blown over. There was some weight to this calling she had received from this angel. And yet we hear her when she visits Elizabeth, praise anyways. And it speaks volumes. This is a woman full of hope. This is a woman full of expectation, and no doubts could have, could have tackled that hope. I love in Luke's, or excuse me, in Luke chapter 1, verse 50, in the message version, her confession says this, that his mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. You know, I, I've, I've kind of got an increased affinity for the ocean now because Raj, my son, loves the ocean, loves water in any form, right? But he loves the ocean, and he loves the waves that they come in. Matt, you're nodding because you're a surfer, right? You love the waves. But the waves come. They come again, and they keep coming. And there's nothing we do that can cause them. There's nothing we do that can stop them. Like when Raj is in the bath, he loves bath because he loves water. I can get the water going back and forth, make it a wave pool. Steph's not keen of that because water gets everywhere. It's a little messy, but I can do that. But when I go to the ocean, I can't start the waves. I can't stop the waves. And it's the same with God's love, with God's mercy, with God's grace, that we don't cause it, nor can we stop it. You know, there's no causation in life where we hit a level where we've all of a sudden leveled up to where we can, all right, I'm, I'm good enough to receive God's grace. And in the same way, there's no point in life where we've done bad enough that God's grace, love, and mercy will be taken from the picture. And the initiative is always 100% God. It's always 100% a gift from him to us. But you know, all life, virtually all life in our culture would tell us that we need to earn our acceptance. We need to earn the respect of others. We need to earn the love of others. This idea of self-actualization, it's key in our culture. A sense of significance uh, due to our own standing or, or equity that we've built up in our life. And if we've accumulated quite a bit and we've got what we would think is, is some of self actualization, and we've got self-confidence, we might think when we're confronted with the grace of God and the truth of the gospel, well, yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm better than these people. Why wouldn't God accept me? But you know what? The other side of that coin, if maybe we, we haven't done well in life, we might think, man, how could God ever accept me? Either side of the coin, we realize that grace is a hard gift to receive well. And yet grace and mercy is this gift that comes through Jesus Christ. And it comes in wave after wave after wave. We couldn't start it and we can't stop it. The question is, are we positioning ourselves to receive it? You know, if, if you feel this Christmas or maybe you felt in life, man, it just feels dry. I haven't stood under a wave of God's grace, love, and mercy in a while. I haven't experienced just, just that feeling of him being close and near and Emmanuel, God with me. I would tell you that it's not that you need to 
do more, but you need to receive more. Reposition yourself to receive. We simply need to switch the default because, again, our default as humans is to buy into this lie of self-actualization, that we can do enough and jump through enough hoops to somehow earn it. It's how we're wired as humanity. But God switched the default through his grace from the idea of earning his grace to simply receiving it through faith. Switching the default from, get this, operating for approval to operating from assurance, right? All our life, we operate for approval of man. We operate for the approval of God, whether we realize it or not, but he wants us to operate from the assurance that we didn't cause the grace, love, and mercy. We can't stop the grace, love, and mercy. It's going to be there. It's going to be there. But when we don't stand under the waves of God's grace, under the waves of his mercy and his love, we can quickly forget and drift back to the old default. And we step under the yoke of trying to earn it. When we reposition ourselves under that yoke, we can block our reception to the grace, love, and mercy that God wants to show us every day of our life. It's just like with our cell phones. Your position can affect your reception. Steph and I were supremely blessed. We went on a cruise a few weeks ago, and other than the all-you-can-eat food, the nice beaches, all that jazz, one of the things I love about cruises is like your phone becomes useless. You end up drifting into the ocean where you have no signals, basically a camera, and other than that, you're not looking at it. All the challenging things we preached on last summer, talking about, man, how we're chained to our phone, you just feel free because my phone no longer has a signal because I'm in the stinking middle of nowhere. So if you texted me and you didn't hear back, I don't hate you, that's why. (laughs) But your position affects how and what you receive. And I want to talk about two positions that Mary shows in this passage that allowed her to receive this promise from God, again, that had weight, that had consequences, and she received it well. The first was her disposition. You talk about your emotional seat, your heart. Peter talks in his epistle of the inner disposition of the heart. Again, Mary was able to navigate these promises of God and the weight that came with it. How? It says in Luke 2.19, Mary treasured all these things, the move of God, the promises of God, and she gave careful thought to them and pondered them where? In her heart. Positioned at the core of her heart, again, were these promises of God, these prophecies of God, these moves of God that she treasured. It's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because from it flows everything we do, all the issues of life. If you let God promises into your heart, you'll walk in his purposes. But let deception into your disposition. Let lies and the Trojan horses of the enemy into your heart. Sin will flow from it. Nothing sparks bad reception like sin. Come on, every year I I read through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament consecutively. So at the end of the year, I'm reading through these, these minor prophets of the Old Testament who again and again, they're warning the Israelites about their sin, warning the Israelites about God's judgment and reminding them of God's love. And yet again and again, they didn't listen. They were so rooted in their sin that they didn't just do, but they celebrated. It was almost like they were deaf. Their reception was so bad due to their sin. It was so dulled by their sin. But again, like we talked about last week, you can turn that page from Malachi right to Matthew, where Jesus Christ comes. He came as a baby, but again, his life is one we read backwards because his very purpose in coming was to beat sin, die on the cross. Again, when we talk about Christmas or when we talk about Easter, it's powerful because it, it happened already. We can rest in the assurance of what was done, that we, our present reality is one of victory. 
But if you don't let Jesus' grace minister to you, you can, and you don't stand under his wave of mercy and grace, you will succumb to shame. Guilt is this idea that I've done bad things. It's a feeling, and it's not a bad feeling if you take it to Jesus. But shame is not just I've done bad things, but I am bad. It's rooted in your identity. And we accept shame because we think we deserve it. But hear me out. Nobody gets to label you except the one who created you. Nobody gets to label you except the one who created you. Gabriel shows up and he immediately says to Mary, you're favored by God. You're a favored one. There are some days, if I'm honest, the angel showed up, told me who I was before God, I would think he'd say failing one, fumbling one, frail one. But these are the lies that become our label and feed our identity when we let, again, deception into our disposition and it messes with our reception of God's grace, his mercy, and his love. God created you and he's labeled you as love. How do we know? Well, for the Bible tells me so, right? I sing that to Raj. But beyond that, actions speak louder than words. Jesus' actions speak volumes. And here's some good news for you tonight. You need to hear this. You don't get to determine God's level of love for you. Think about it. You don't get to determine God's level of love for you. You didn't start the waves of his love, mercy, and grace. You can't stop the waves of his love, mercy, and grace. The cross already determined God's level of love for you. Jesus coming at Christmas and being born into a manger already determined God's level of love for you, and nothing you do in this life can erase that. Let the disposition of your heart, the, the position of your heart, the treasure of your heart from which everything flows, flow from an identity as beloved and loved by God. But if you're one of those people who would say, man, if an angel showed up right now, he'd call me not favored one, but failing one, frail one. How do I switch my disposition? One, one way, I would tell you, is, is a, it's a geographical problem. Again, sometimes our reception is jacked up because you're out of coverage. Paul says in Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Conversion to Paul, you read his epistles, it's geographic. It's a transfer from one world to another, a change of lordships from flesh to God's spirit. And we who believe should continually be aware and mindful that we live in this overlap between two worlds, the seen and the unseen, and the world that we see and we live in still wants to define who we are. You know, how did racism grow so rooted in our culture, even within the church? How did sexuality get so distorted and marriage become so fleeting, even within the church? How does materialism have such a, a grip on our Western society, even within the church? It's because the world we live in come into contact daily with, still wants to inform us and conform us. That's why Paul says in Romans 12:1, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Again, this world being speaking to these geographic spheres, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how do we do it? One way, get back under the coverage of God's grace in the family of faith. I can't tell you how many times in life God has provided his good, pleasing, or perfect will or given me encouragement or challenged me and made me step up through people in the family of faith, people in the church that I was attending. You know, take note, take note, take note. <laughs> in Luke's gospel, Elizabeth's words, her words, 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, came right before Mary's song of praise. And what we just read, it says it was Mary's response to what Elizabeth said when she sang this song of praise. Yet how often do we make decisions that spurn the same community that would shoot adrenaline into our lives and into our worship and into our praise? It's powerful that in this passage it says, now at this time, Mary arose and she hurried. And she got to Elizabeth as quick as possible. You know, I think of two things when I read that verse. One, Mary was the one carrying the Messiah. She could have had this idea of self-importance, right? When Elizabeth greets her, surely there's this humility, like, you're favored by God. You're carrying the Messiah. Mary probably could have been like, hey, Elizabeth, I want to hang out, but you should come here, right? I'm carrying you know, your Lord and Savior. So why don't you come and hang out at my place? You take the long journey. I know you're pregnant too, but girl, I, I'm pregnant. So you come, we'll hang out at my place. But Mary, she goes out of her way to get to Elizabeth, her relative. And then secondly, you see, like she, at this time, she arose and she hurried. Elizabeth probably didn't have that much of a warning, right? And, and, and maybe Elizabeth would have felt rushed, but we see that she doesn't turn into some Martha where she, when you think of Martha and Mary, where Martha was concerned with the task at hand, being a good host, maybe the time wasn't ideal. You think about it, her husband right now was mute and couldn't talk, Zachariah, because he doubted the angel when he said they were going to have John the Baptist. Not the best time. And yet, Elizabeth welcomes her with joy. Maybe your New Year's resolution as you reprioritize and look towards 2018 should be to get rooted in life groups, get rooted in groups of people where it's, Smaller than this setting, and you can be known and get to know people. We got another session of life groups being launched in January. And you know what? There will always be excuses. Right? I'm so busy doing legitimately good things. I need people, you know, if we're going to get together, I need them to come to me. But Mary didn't use that as an excuse. This isn't a good season. Maybe when, when things get back to normal, but Elizabeth didn't use that as an excuse. Now, there are legitimate seasons where priorities shift, Sure. When we adopted Raj, Steph and I weren't uh, hosting a life group that session. But I think they're more rare than we would think. And community is a higher priority in Scripture than I think we would often give it. Because it's one way that we let God, through people, speak to our disposition, change our heart, and be transformed. Again, Romans 12 talks about the way that you think. And that's going to speak to the second position of Mary's heart tonight. Not just the disposition of her heart, but the suppositions of her mind. Your mental assumptions, what you think, what goes into your mind, it affects what you say. And I love that Mary says to the angel, let it be with me just as you say. How do we fix our suppositions? I would say very often, you know, the ways that we think and our perspectives, our paradigms, if they're off, it's usually a local problem. Again, you might be able to relate this to technology. You might be able to relate this to your phone or your laptop. I talked last summer about how I try to keep technology out of the bedroom, that when I go to the bedroom, it's just me unplugging, winding down. I don't get a choice when it comes to my laptop. For whatever reason, it's not that far from the router, but when I step those stairs down in my bedroom, my laptop becomes useless. I have no choice. Maybe you know situations like this, like when I FaceTime my sister in Richmond, something about the way they built her house, reception just vanishes like every two minutes. We can't FaceTime. Something about our house, something about the way they built it. Again, you've no doubt been there where you don't know what it is, but there's something wrong with the structure of the building, something off with the structure of the roof where it blocks reception. And here's the application. Don't miss this. You can be saved 
with your spiritual house built on the right foundation and still have poor reception. You can have your house built on the rock, Jesus Christ, be saved on your way to heaven and still have poor reception. Christ alone, cornerstone, all that jazz, it's true. Jesus is the cornerstone, but what are you building with? Peter says in his epistle, his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He's saying, look, we don't just get the cornerstone. God gives us the building blocks, but are we using them? We talk so often at City Life about the pathways, just 12 spiritual disciplines where if you're following Jesus Christ with your life, you will walk these pathways. And we see in those 12 pathways, there's things like gathering and relationship and accountability, three that we could point to, talking to, stepping into the family of faith. But we know with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, that not only did they have to go to Bethlehem, where they gave birth to Jesus, but because of Herod and his persecution and killing of of all those infants, they had to flee. They became refugees. No doubt they felt disconnected from relationship and gathering and the accountability that they had had when they had to leave as refugees. And I've said it before that it's what I would call the four personal pathways where there are seasons in life where maybe you're in the military You get sent somewhere and you get uprooted and you don't have those relationships you just had around you. I don't know what the situation may be where other people leave, but there are seasons in life, you think of Daniel and Babylon, where there's four personal pathways that get us through those pathways and the grace of God. These are pathways that help us renew our mind, reboot and restore the default that God wants us to have in terms of our suppositions and our assumptions about who he is and his character and what he can do for us. And again, when I talk about doing these things, I'm not talking about doing them to earn God's grace, but I'm simply talking about how we can open our hands to receive it. It's how we switch our default from trying to earn God's grace to once again focusing on receiving his grace and mercy. The first is simply his word. Scripture. Again, the Magnificat. Some doubt how Mary, with her upbringing and background, could have even said these poetic and beautiful words, right? Yet if you look at Mary's prayer, you look at Scripture in the Old Testament, it echoes and it points to a prayer from some hundreds of years ago, centuries before her. Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel In Judaism, in that culture, her prayer was held up as a prime example, Hannah's prayer, as a prime example. It was recited verbatim at different holidays and festivals on their calendar. So Mary, in all likelihood, would have been quite familiar with it. And it shows when you compare their two prayers. Hannah starts her prayer out with, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Mary starts her prayer out with, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hannah in her prayer says, stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows what you have done. Mary says, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. Hannah says, those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. Mary says, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. And lastly, Hannah says, the Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. Mary says, he has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. Mary knew her scripture. Mary knew what had happened in the Old Testament. So when Gabriel came to her and told her that she would bear a child through the Holy Spirit, which kind of blows all the doors of logic off their hinges, right? That takes some faith to believe that. Mary no doubt found faith in knowing stories like Hannah's, 
where a barren woman bared child, where God worked miracles for the Israelites in the desert and delivered them as a people, and she could have faith for something like Gabriel telling her that she would bear a child through the Holy Spirit. You know, the song, Mary, Did You Know? It's a good one. It's uh, been redone by many uh, uh, artists because it's a tear inducer. It gets you all up in your feels. It's been redone at many a church come Christmas time. And uh, again, it's great because it gets you all up in your emotions and thinking about what Jesus came to do. But when you read Luke 1, you realize that was a massive spoiler alert for Mary. She knew, right? You back that up with what Simeon prophesied over Jesus later on. She knew. Uh, Another good song about Mary that she wrote herself again was this Magnificat. How could she receive this news, knowing all that she would know due to the Old Testament prophecies? And how could she do it with joy and in the face of all that praise? No doubt she had resignations, knowing how it would end. Jesus coming as the suffering servant to die for us. She shows delight, though, when I know I would have no doubt been still grappling with doubt. Because her response is rooted in her familiarity with what God had done in Scripture and what God had done in his word and what God had done in the Old Testament. And God showed his love to Mary by, again, gracing her with this incredible favor as the mother of God. But his favor, let's be serious. If you've been following Christ long enough, his favor doesn't always fit our our framework. Again, this put her under public scrutiny. Could have put her in danger. God's promises are yes and amen, but sometimes these presents come in strange, illogical packaging. You know, but the Bible is one gift that we get to read daily that helps us make sense, some sense of God and his ways. It reminds us that, hey, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It it helps us navigate this daily journey with all its twists and turns and peaks and valleys, and it helps us walk in his promises. So let me encourage you. Don't let your suppositions and assumptions about who God is be based on merely assumptions. Assumptions based on a good sermon here or there, or assumptions based on a scripture where it's, it's the calligraphied Instagram post, right? That, that can, again, put wind in our sails, but let's not make those the basis of our faith. If I could tell you, man, take a Bible and start digging in in 2018. Begin that journey. Just last year, We were preaching on the wise men and how they went on that journey, likely beginning in Babylon, coming to Bethlehem, some thousand miles. And this Bible that I preach out of is some thousand pages. And they went on that journey to find Jesus. And I just would encourage you again this year, go on that journey through Scripture. Maybe you don't get there after a year. The wise men didn't. (laughs) They didn't get there for a while. But, man, begin that journey. Jennifer Rockwell, she's not here tonight, but she posted something recently which was encouraging because this year was the first year she read the Bible from cover to cover. Not only that, she got done a couple weeks ago, so she must have been kicking butt. But she was just encouraging others to do the same, talking about how she's encouraging her husband to do the same because there's life that's found when you begin to read God's word and dig in. You taste and see that he's good, and it begins again to renew your mind. So let me encourage you. Begin that journey. If you've never done it, do it. Uh, the, the year I gave my life to Christ, somebody encouraged me to do it, and every year since, I try to read the Bible cover to cover. I want to say I've done it every year. We'll see. It's getting close to the end here. But it'll give you life like no other. In terms of speaking God's word into other people, praying for people, you know, people ask, well, how, do you, how do you know that verse? It's because you're in God's word. 
You know who he is. You're not just assuming things based on, on, on common sense or your own spirituality and, and stamping it with God's word. It's because you're in God's word. The second personal uh, pathway is prayer. It's quite simply prayer. If you look at the life of a Christian, and then you look at the life of somebody in the world who by all means lives a good life, lives uh, what we would see as morally, right? Don't cuss, don't sleep around, they help people, they bless people, come to holidays, they're serving to help people have a better life. What distinguishes us from them as believers? What's the difference between my life and their life? Our lives should be marked by the presence of God. That should be the difference between us and them, that we're spending time in God's presence and we're marked like Moses coming off the Mount Sinai. We had to wear a veil because his face was glowing. We should be marked by the presence of God. Am I marked by spending time in the presence of God? I would challenge you as we look towards 2018, if it's not a priority, reprioritize God's presence. You know, I let Raj play with my phone all the time. Uh, confession, when he was acting up during worship, I took him out there, turned on Netflix. He was watching Puffin' Rock while I was reading to all these other kids, right? I let him play with my phone, and sometimes I don't even do anything. I just hand it to him because he's screaming. And, and if it's, if it's uh, locked, he'll swipe around on it. He'll get around. And, and the, the bottom line, I let him play with my phone long enough, he's going to call somebody. <laughs> if it's locked, unfortunately, there's that little emergency button. It'll hit that emergency call. That's an adrenaline rush, trying to hang that up fast. But if it's unlocked, usually it's the most recent call, most recent text. Some of you have got calls from my son because he's playing on my phone. If it's unlocked, he'll find his way. He'll find his way to the last text, the last call, and he'll call that person. If you've sat there, listen to dad, 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 dad for two minutes, I apologize. But that's probably what happened. But I would ask you tonight, you talk about your prayer life. Is your prayer life locked up. And the only time it's, it's taken out is when it's for an emergency call, or is it your daily most recent call, your most recent communications every day in communication with God? Because again, what sets us apart? There are people out there that, if I'm honest, live as good, better than me, than most of us, in terms of what they're doing. They're active. Man, what should mark us? God's presence that challenges us to do better. God's presence that fills us with his spirit so that we can go out, be his hands and feet. You remove God's presence from this church. Newsflash, we're nothing better than a museum to all the things he's done in the Bible, but you fill God's church with his presence and his Holy Spirit. We're not just some museum to what he's done. We're a movement that he's working through, not just here in this place for an hour and a half on the weekend, but Monday, excuse me, Sunday, because we do church on Saturday, Sunday through Friday, right? What he's doing through us becomes a movement because we're marked by his presence. Maybe you say, man, my prayer life Needs a kick in the pants, right? I need to up my game. And I would just tell you, even to tie it into our last point, use scripture as inspiration. Jesus says to the woman at the well in the gospel, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask. And we see that there's this direct correlation. If we know God, know what he's capable of, know what his heart is, then we would ask and we would ask more often. A.W. Tozer says a low view of God leads to, it's either a hundred or a thousand lesser evils. He says, recovering the majesty of who God is, it's the cure. And I would tell you the, the prescription, the medicine is scripture. It tells us who God is, what his heart is. And secondly, man, if you memorize scripture, you just one verse. It'll shoot adrenaline into your prayer life. Anytime where I feel like, man, my prayer life is lacking, I'll try to find a psalm. It's Psalm 51, Psalm 25, Psalm 139, something that I can memorize and let that fuel my prayer life. 
Come on, you begin to meditate on Scripture. It will spark your prayer life. Eugene Peterson once says, we learn our prayer vocabulary the way children learn their vocabulary. By being immersed in the language around them and then speaking it back. You want to re-energize your prayer time with God? Then get into Scripture. Get into his word. It reminds us who he is and what his heart is. One of my favorite and one of the most powerful verses in Luke's Christmas account is the one we hit on already where it says, Mary treasured all these things, giving careful thought to them and pondering them in her heart. If I could have the worship team come up, the last two I'll hit on briefly. There's Scripture, God's Word, right? There's prayer, and then there's prayer and fasting. There's fasting, and man, Fred already shared those thoughts during the announcements that were so good, and I would tell you, uh, if you've never heard a sermon on fasting, never read a book on fasting, check out his podcast from November 25th and December 2nd in Newport News. Somebody was just telling me last week, they listened to that, and they were challenged, man, I have to fast more. And maybe you think, man, that stinks. (laughs) You think fasting, that's the pits. Man, how is that enjoyable? But I love that science is catching up to God's word. Where their scientists are realizing it's good for our bodies, it's good for our health, it's good for our minds to fast. Just another reminder that in the Bible, God's commands aren't given to restrict, they're given to bless us. So scripture, begin the journey. If you haven't ever read the Bible cover to cover, I would encourage you. version has about 600 plans, <laughs> all kinds of different plans. I do the CCV where it's Old Testament, New Testament, and some Psalms and Proverbs each day. Maybe you read it from cover to cover. Maybe you read it chronological. If you got questions, ask them, but begin that journey. Prayer, reprioritize his presence. Make it a priority again. Realize that what marks you when you go out to your workplace, to your school, to your neighbors, what marks you is the presence of God and you having been in his presence. And then fasting. And begin to pray about January. Again, you might fast for one day. You might fast for five days. You might fast for 21. You might fast food might fast sugar, might fast social media, might be something entirely separate. Talk to your doctor, all that good jazz. But man, if we want revival again in our church, in this region, it's going to start with our hearts. It's going to start with our minds. The disposition of our hearts and the suppositions of our mind, it's going to start with these personal pathways, our worship, our fasting, our prayer, our time in God's word. Come on, all the corporate stuff, the revival in this church, it's going to be phenomenal. God's going to do big things through this church in 2018, but it starts, what's your personal pursuit look like? What do these personal pathways look like? But I want to close with the fourth, which is worship. Maybe your idea of worship is this, coming together with 100 plus other people to sing, and that's powerful. Again, the science is caught up to God's word on that, where they're like, you come together with a bunch of people and sing it, lift your spirit, it gets rid of cortisol and stress in your mind, like, God's commands are so good. So I want to close with worship tonight. Because it does, it puts God back on the throne of our hearts. It restores the correct default, not one of striving, but simply standing with your hands up before God and receiving his grace, his mercy, and his love that come like wave after wave. Renews our mind. God, tonight, Mary took God's word She treasured it, and her response was the Magnificat, the song of praise, God. I pray that tonight as we close in worship, God, that this would be our response, not just to what you've shared tonight, but what you've done this year in 2017. Whether it was a 
mountaintop or a valley, whether it had this twist or this turn, Lord God, we, we thank you for your provision, your faithfulness, your grace, mercy, and love that was there every day. Whether we availed it ourselves to us or not, it was made available through Jesus Christ. And we praise you as we close tonight in worship. If we could stand, we're going to sing closer again. The bridge says how great your love is for me. And God, I pray that you would remind us as we've talked about tonight, your love, we couldn't cause it. No matter how good we think we've done, and we can't stop it no matter how bad we think we've done. And God, I just pray that we'd be reminded that you created us, you give us our identity, and our identity is beloved. It's loved. Christmas reminds us of that, where you loved us so much that you gave your son. God, I pray that as we treasure that, ponder that, as Mary did, God, that it would stir up worship. God, we worship you even now. We worship you, Jesus. Surprise.